Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 275. This episode is with Anton McKelholm. Anton is a head of sports science, football performance manager and coach. And he's got a vast experience across a number of different roles, um, including, like I mentioned, a head of sports science role, but also a head coach role as well, which he touches on in the podcast. So there's loads of experience Anton pulls from and loads of lessons you'll take away from this episode. He's worked at a number of big clubs as well. So we spoke about some of the lessons from the winning cultures that he's been surrounded by and working with some of the best coaches, managers and players, including the likes of Harry Kane, Ange Postacoglu and Mauricio Pochettino as well. And then we also touch on his approach to conditioning on the pitch. So there's loads to take away from this episode with Anton. As this episode goes out, we are one day away from our next networking event, which is at Blackburn Rovers on the 25th of January. We've got three presentations from Adam Yates, Rob Pullin, and Russ Wrigley at that event. So those presentations will be able to be viewed very soon on our online community. We've also now confirmed an event on the 27th of February. We're going to be in the Southeast at Colchester United from 6 till 9 p.m. We've got Dave Carolan who's an experienced head of performance in elite sports, presenting alongside Hayden Clifton, who's a head of medicine and sports science at Colchester United. So early bird tickets are now available for that event. So go to footballfitfed.com, click the shop tab, and you'll be able to click networking events, and all the tickets for upcoming events are available there. Also, just on that, if you are coming with a friend, a colleague, make sure to check out the two-ticket offer we have available for that event and all events coming up as well, which allows you to get two tickets for a slightly discounted price as well. So that is available at that same link. Now, if you're anything like me, productivity is a real key part of your day. Being productive, making the most of the time that you are putting towards certain tasks that you've got to get completed for that day. And it's something that, following on from the recent podcast with Phil Learney, I've been thinking about my morning routine, been thinking about how I can get more productive in the first few hours of the day with a young family, with kids in the house, and ties in with the the caffeine use as well. So I'm I'm not a massive drinker on caffeine, but I will have a coffee a day. And tying in with some of the things that Phil mentioned, I've I've delayed my my coffee intake first thing in the day, lean more towards water, electrolytes, well, recently I've added in a product called Magic Mind. And Magic Mind is a drink that I'm taking in first thing in the morning after I've had my water and electrolytes to help with my focus and my productivity. And it's something that's allowed me to do that. I've found that taking that drink in without the caffeine takes away the, the sort of jittery feeling that I get from caffeine. But it allows me to, one, I've started shifting my reading to earlier in the day so I can focus on reading cognitively. I feel a little bit more switched on. Um, And it also means that I can tackle the first few tasks of the day as well. So without feeling hungry, without feeling jittery, like I mentioned from the caffeine, it's allowed me to sort of crack on and be productive in those first few hours of the day. And the good news is, for listeners of this podcast, Magic Mind have set us up with a unique link where you can get one month free when subscribing for three months. So if you go to the show notes, there's a link available in the show notes and use the code Football Fitness Federation 20, which gets you an extra 20% off, which is a total of 75% off and it only lasts until the end of January. So go and check it out. If you're not heard of Magic Mind, Go and search for them, go and use that link and go and check it out. If productivity is an issue for you, go and give them a follow and give it a try because I highly recommend it. I also want to say a massive thank you to The Good Prep. The Good Prep is a meal prep delivery service that provides fresh, ready-to-eat, chef-cut meals straight to your door. They offer meal plans tailored to your personal goals, current activity level and schedule. The Good Prep works closely with elite level athletes and corporates to develop meal solutions that meet the ever-changing demands of performance and training. Their clients include Brighton Hove Albion, the PGMOL, Commonwealth Teams, Gymshark and many more. Their meals are full of all the nutrients you need to keep you in peak performance so you can achieve every goal you set. Plus you can reclaim your time, eat better, move more and reduce food waste too. Their meal plans are designed to guide you through your journey to a healthier you. 
Take the guesswork out of healthy eating and discover the power of nutrition at thegoodprep.com and make sure you use the code FFF15 for 15% off your first order. This podcast is brought to you by Hytro, the number one BFR brand in pro sport, helping teams and athletes improve performance and recover faster with their blood flow restriction wearables. Built for sport and proven by science, check out hytro.com to find out more. And last but not least, a massive thank you to our longest serving sponsors, that is Rezzle. Go and check them out on socials, at Rezzle, doing some great work in the world of VR. And let's get into episode 275 with Anton McElhone. Rezzle is the world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Whatever your team, your sport, your ability, improve your game and train like a pro. Reactions, performance, accuracy, stamina, resilience. Train at home in the Rezzle Sports and Fitness VR Training Arena. Search Rezzle, R-E-Z-Z-I-L. The world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Available now on MetaQuest. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 275. I'm delighted to welcome onto the podcast, far overdue this episode, Anton McElhone. Anton, how are we doing? Very good, Ben. Much appreciated for bringing us on. Much appreciated. Like I said, it's been long, long coming this episode. Um, Should have had you on a long time ago, but I'm really looking forward to this one. Obviously, it wasn't, well, I was going to say it wasn't long ago that we were up at Celtic where you self-presented um, and some of the other staff on the work that you were doing up there. Um, it was probably quite a while ago now, wasn't it? I sit in, a, in saying that. Uh, we've got quite a bit to catch up on, but do you want to just kick us off with your background? Take us through your career so far leading up to what you're doing now. Yeah, apologies, obviously. It could be a little bit long, obviously, getting on in years. So been in the industry for nearly 20 years I originally started as a as a coach. That was the education that I'd went down through playing career, obviously a field player, got injured at 19, went down the sort of the, the fitness route while I was studying at college, early sort of noughties, late nineties. And then from there I spent a few years out in the fitness industry, obviously trying to rehab and, and get back to playing football, which is your first passion playing football. As I say, you were a field player, so it's one of the ones, you know, the best next thing is to, to work in football. So looking down that sort of fitness route and rehab sort of got there by default. So again, going back a long time ago, worked as an academy coach at Queen's Park, was studying at University of Paisley of 2002 to 2004, which is now UWS, which has done sports studies and exercise science. From there, moving on, done a, a master's degree at Edinburgh Uni, 0405, and then from there was working at Hibs for three and a half years, two years with the academy, one and a half years with the first team. Tony Mowbray brought us in as a, a first team sports scientist and worked with John Collins as well. And then moving on from there, spent 10 years at Tottenham. So from 07 to 2017, first four years were working with uh, John McDermott, who was the academy director, Alex Inglethorpe. Sam Erith had brought us into the club as development fitness coach, which was taking the under-18s and under-21s. I was really lucky to work with loads of people, Alex Inglethorpe at Liverpool, Damien Camoli, Richard Allen, Perry Shuckling, loads of top coaches. But from a sports science point of view, we were very lucky with Jackie, there's an intern, Matt Allen, Ed Lang, Jim Redden, lots of top staff that were sort of coming up, Tom Barnden, all these people sort of touched base at Tottenham and moved on to a great career. So, Spent four years working with the academy. Leading in that, worked with Harry Kane, Andros Townsend, Stephen Cocker, some top talents there. And then from there, moved up to the first team. Spent six years working under Harry Redknapp, Andre Villas-Boas. And then for that last four years, it was Mauricio Pochettino, Jesus Perez. So was very lucky to sort of work in that top club environment, top players, world-class environment players and, and so on. And then... 2018, moved over to America. I worked in the MLS with uh, Brad Friedel. He headhunted as, uh, as head of fitness and assistant coach as part of his coaching staff. The, the remit over there was to bring in a Premier League setup to the MLS. So we're very lucky, obviously. Players like Almiron, Alfonso Davies were in the league at the time. Players like Matt Turner were developed and, and obviously subsequently sold to Arsenal in the years. And then from there, I came back to the UK to to work at Bradford City as assistant manager 
and performance manager, done that for six months in the League One, and then moved back to Scotland, was um, assistant manager, um, interim manager for two years, uh, Green at Morton, and then finally, boyhood dream Celtic fan, was brought in as head of sports science, managing the performance at Celtic under and Postacoglu. So spent two phenomenal years, was Angie's first um, recruit of staff, uh, we won a double in the first year and a, a treble in the second year in a, a historic eighth worldwide treble. So, again, some fantastic years in working under some amazing staff and had a, a fantastic sort of journey to date, learning and developing, obviously, change of manager, change of circumstances. So, a change of journey again. So, looking forward to what the 2024 holds. Amazing. Uh, there's so much we could dive into. One thing I wanted to start on, start on initially, before we dive into some lessons from the great names that you've mentioned there, your work in academy football and first team is something we've talked about a lot. A lot of practitioners will set on a, out on a path to end up at a first team and they still sort of see the academy as like a stepping stone to get to first team. What's been your experience on that? And if you've got advice for coaches coming through where do you see do you see that some coaches are more fitted to working in the, the development developmental stages of with players in terms of the academy and some are more suited to first team or do you see it as that pathway from academy to first team yeah listen, everybody's journey is different I think, I think that's the, the most important thing I, I'm not going to lie and say look I wanted to be in academy football for a decade or so, that was the start of the journey, that was your access into football. I was very fortunate, I worked at Queen's Park, which is a great academy, moving on to Hibernian Football Club for three and a half years, we had a phenomenal academy, lots of players come into the first team, so that was your introduction, so I never done an internship, so my introduction for an internship back in the noughties was working in the academy, that was where you, you were in the cold face, you, you learnt how to do your fitness programmes, work with players, again it's so important I think for any a practitioner to go in at that level because that's where you make your mistakes and I think you know working under John McDermott it was never wanting the mistakes to be made at the top end of the tree so you had to go in there you know like get your years work at different clubs learn your trade I think it's hugely important for all coaches and, and practitioners to definitely work at the academy end and again also when you then come out the other end I think it's also a great place to be working because the experience that you've gained whether it's first team professional development squad to then go back in because Listen, I'm not going to lie, at that younger age, you think you know it all, and you're putting all these things, you're reading your journals and research, this is what's right, you're falling out with staff, because you think you know what's right, and listen, you don't, listen, you learn in that journey, you develop, you evolve, but I think it's really important for, for, for young practitioners, or any practitioner, whatever it is they go in, they must work in the academy, because that is the foundations of it, that's how you learn to work with players, understand, again, the different uh, aspects of youth football, maturation, all the different areas. It, it's There's so many different things. And also, you get to do all the different jobs. I know James Redden, when he was on previously, speaking about that generalist approach, you do more than just like that specialised, like GPS. You're doing nutrition, you're doing S&C, you're doing the sports science. So I think having that wider lens makes you a far better practitioner. And obviously, in later years for me, working within the rehab and reconditioning, that gave me an even broader scope to actually work as a the head of department. So I think it's hugely important to actually cover that academy age group and also as you go through that, whether it's male or female, because I've worked in both men's and women's football. Brilliant. I wanted to go into some of the lessons you've taken from some of those coaches that you've been surrounded by now. So in terms of if, if we're thinking about some of the winning cultures and that's both at academy. So a winning culture in an academy could be getting the likes of some of those players that you mentioned before through into a first team. And then you've got the other end of it, your time at Celtic, winning titles, winning uh, trophies. What have been some big lessons, especially what you're going to take into your next role? What are some big things you're going to take forward? I think it's one of these things. When I started out at the start of my career, my, my aim was always to work with the best, be the best that I could be. You know, if you know, I would go down to England to do courses. You were you were researching what are the best clubs, what are the best coaches, managers, fitness practitioners doing. Whether it was Raymond Verheyen back in the day, Jens Bangsville, what are these guys doing? You know, that was the, the key thing. It was really important to, you know, develop world class basics. I think that's why the the most important things is high standards. So it's 
it's not all about the, the facilities that you're in. It's about the people that you work with, the standards and the, the accountability that you hold yourself to. So working with guys like John McDermott for four years, the standards were super high. And, and obviously, you would get told if you weren't doing your job, if you weren't developing players, but it was an elite mindset. You know, what can, we're always trying to be the best. We don't, it's not maybe about the money that you have to produce players, the facilities. It's about what people and staff could do, being creative, you know, thinking outside the box. I think that was one of the, the, the most important things. And when Mauricio came into Tottenham 2014, that's where the sort of light bulb moment went off about standards and world-class levels because... Yes, at Tottenham we had a great training facility, but it was underused. We were underusing the, the sports science staff from Nathan and so on. But what they've done is they brought in a culture of excellence, how we train, how we live, you know, that 24-7 pro sort of mantra that John McDermott would have. And it was constant. How can we improve the fine margins, the bigger details? How can we develop players? Whether it's academy, which I think everybody's all about development, but at first team people forget you're still developing players whether they're 25, 30, 35, how can you get the best out of them? And again, it was living your life clean, doing the best that you can. You know, how much work and effort can you put in Monday to Sunday? And again, being a good person, I think, first and foremost, the attitude that you bring to things, the character, I think, for players to survive, whether it's a hurricane or whatever, it was about the character, that mental resilience. So I think... Sometimes it's not about the, the technical aspects of how you can teach a session in the gym or on the pitch. But I think it was connecting with people, connecting with staff, having a bigger why, I think is the, the, the important thing. And obviously, as the years go by, you learn to develop the how and the what and all these things. And it's, it, it's a lead or a manager. You learn to delegate and manage. But I think it was so important to give standards, culture, and developing like a positive attitude to how we work and we want to be the best. And I think that's one of the key things over all the years with different managers. I think player recruitment is huge, whether it's Tottenham or, or different clubs like Celtic. If you don't, listen, you can get great players, but you still need a, a great training programme and you need great coaches, great people that help the system evolve and, and, and constantly try to be the best. But again, it gets back to people. I think if you get good people in the building, things can, things can be magical. It's not all about the, the finances at Hibs. We had no training facility. We trained in public parks. Tony Mowbray, one of the best teams in the, the country. They sold all their key talents and rebuilt a training ground. So again, it was you know it's it's all about what you can do having the bigger vision. I think that Brentford's Brightons they have done it over the years. That money ball, I think that's that's key. It's finding value and what's out there. Well, Ross, when you presented, you talked about the likes of Harry Kane this journey through the academy. You talked there about world-class basics and the standards and, and maintaining that throughout. But was there anything, especially if we're looking at someone like Harry Kane, obviously captain of his country, now gone on to Bundesliga and absolutely killing it over there as well. Was there anything that sort of stood out when he was coming through his development journey where you could sort of see the difference between, OK, there's good players out there and then there's this level of player? I think, listen, we spoke about it in the, the, the meeting that we had a few years ago. The, the, the key thing for Harry was, I think, two things. Survival of the fittest. He was a fit boy. He could run. Wasn't most explosive. So if you look at him from a maturation point of view, he was tall, slightly higher body fat percentage, you know, like, but was six foot plus, could run all day. Wasn't, you know, like, at Tottenham, Judged quick, you were up against Gareth Bale, Aaron Lennon, that was your benchmark, so it was very tough. If he was at another club, he might have been quick, or a quicker player, but it's Tottenham, he was deemed as average. But the mentality that he had to how he worked, how he trained, was elite. He wanted to be the best. He would go out every day and do his extras. He would be in the gym, what to do more. He had to hold him back, but it came from him. You never had to push Harry to do stuff. It was internally driven. And that's one of the key things was everything that Harry done was off his own back. You didn't have to chase him up to get him in the gym, get him on the pitch doing extras. It was his mentality, his character. And I think, look, he was a top player. We've said it before. He was a top talent in the academy. But I think what the key thing was, he had a chip in his shoulder that he wasn't perfect. He wasn't the quickest or maybe the most agile. But technically, as a finisher, he was outstanding. You know, as a young guy, 16, he was going to tournaments in the South America, under-19 tournaments. You know, it's well written about he was a talent 
but he still had to work at his craft and like your Beckhams and stuff, he worked on that. He's a master craftsman. You know, he's got every finish in the book. He understands it. And at the end of the day, I think we sometimes looked at the wrong lens. We're looking from physical rather than the global four-corner approach. It's also the technical, tactical, mental, and he had it in abundance. And I think that mental resilience, you have to be fit. He was robust. That was the thing. He wasn't dynamic, dynamic. But I think when Mauricio came in, he really kicked on and developed and then built his career around that. Again, he's still the same athlete as he is. Then, you know, he likes to drop into pockets and score goals, but top, top guy. And again, I think survival of the fittest mentally and physically were the two key attributes for him. I know you've had a number of players at that, that sort of level that you've worked with as well, but when play, coaches have got a player like that within their system and they're trying to help them develop, you mentioned there about having to pull back at certain points as well with certain players of have a mentality like that. Where did your role fit with him in particular? Where did you see that you could support him the most? I think he was one of the ones. Look, the, the, the tough one was is he was a top-end player at Tottenham. So he would then play under-18s, reserves, getting called up to first team. So the biggest challenge was how do you develop him individually? We knew that he had weaknesses. How can we make him more explosive? How could we make him quicker and stuff? So trying to fit that was really tough because he's playing in every game and every tournament. He had the most match minutes. So the key thing was, is one, make sure he's fit and healthy. Because if he's not fit and healthy, which I think we all forget about, he won't play games and he won't develop. So I think, I'm not going to say, you know, say here, we've we done X, Y and Z and really added a lot to him physically in the two or three years. Because as a first year, he played all the games. Second year, he moved to reserves. Within his third year, he was already out on loan. So it was really difficult, you know. So I was looking after his loans when he was at Norwich, late in Orient. You're trying to send him programmes, but he's playing games. So you've got to balance what his demands are for the games and training. That is the priority. And then how can we, you know, is he moving well? So look, we're doing our FMS work. Can you keep him fit and available? Is his hamstring still stronger? Is he full perception for his ankles? You were still having to do the basics. It wasn't all fancy and glorified. It was keep him fit and available so that he could train. And that's what the magic was with Harry. That when he got to the first team under Mauricio, he'd been in a journey. He had he, knockbacks. But with the way that they trained at Tottenham, he got better strength, power. Robert Clay was already good. But that, that really upped his level. But the physical aspect with the technical really developed. But his mindset was always there. You know, he was, before he had made his, his first team debut, he was like goal scoring every week. He was, like, I think, like one of the highest goal scorers in the Europa League that year. And he couldn't get a game in the first team. So it was really, really interesting. That it, regardless, he would have been a top player, whether it was we or else. But his mental attitude was outstanding. But it was really difficult. And I'm not going to sit here and claim that we added his jump and we put 10 centimetres on it back in the day or we made him really quick. It was about keeping him fit and available. And that was one of the priorities. And that's something that, for my generation of fitness coaches, was still the priority and that is still the case today whether it was at Celtic or whatever is give them the availability to play and train that's where they develop and then like that micro dose and how do we actually get that into them in the, the days that we can Yeah I love that you brought that up and as much as we, we're not going to take credit for development I think at that point you can become I suppose a hindrance or you can have a negative um, impact on that player if if you let ego get in the way, like you mentioned before, that you think you know it all when you're trying to input all your um, your thoughts and your philosophy within that player when it's not suited at the right time. I think that's a really important lesson at that time, isn't it? That knowing where your role fits with that player at that time. Of course. It's one of the ones, from a, you know, whether it was an Andros Townsend, you know, Andros speaks about it. We would always be pushing them, you know, you've done your training minutes, get off the pitch and they're trying to sneak on round the corner. So even though we were the bad cop, it was good for them because the development of their pushing, because if they were happy to sit back going in the change room, the culture at Tottenham was competitive in that academy. It was the best of the best, best players, best coaches. So they were always getting pushed mentally, do the right things, have their ice bath, you know, you're chasing them up. But that has carried on in Harry's career. I'm not saying that we've done it, but good habits, because that is the hardest thing in football, is doing the right thing every day. Go for your ice bath, do your pre-act, train well, train with intensity, be coachable. That is the hardest thing, but that's why the top players get to the top because they can do that every day. 
And I think the biggest thing was, you know, we never took the passion away from Harry. Harry Kane loves playing football. Put him in the pitch, whether it's a tennis ball, golf, he wants to play football. He loves it. And that was never taken away from him. We helped continue that in the journey. And again, like that, he was a winning team as an academy player. That also helps. So I think there was there was so many things, but he was faced with ad- adversity, but had the right team of people helping him, parents, brother, mother, girlfriend, you, you know, all these people. He was a well-grounded guy that was able to develop through some elite practices at Chuck Lynn. It was John, Alex, the physio department, sports science analysis. Everybody was there pushing him to the best that he could and obviously to get out and loan and then do what he'd done. I want to skip a bit of time now, move on to your time at Celtic. So to take in terms of, we've spoke about lessons in terms of coaches, but I really want to dive into this because we've spoke there about the de- developmental years of players like Kane. Now you're in a first team environment, in an environment that's very demanding, obviously expected to win leagues and, and do well in cup competitions. So does your role resume? Is it the same? Is it is it all about availability or is there any sort of change in that sort of, um, in that position? But there were so many things at Celtic. I think one of the first things is the philosophy is still the same. Can we provide the, the manager and the coaching staff with the, the players to be available, the highest availability, but also they need to be fit. There's no point giving the, the manager 25 fit players who can't play the game model that they want. And, and as you can see, we had Postacoglu and the, the high energy style. That, that was, it was an easy task for me having worked with Mauricio in that style. But the biggest challenge was two very different ways to get to the end product. So coming to Celtic as well was very difficult because you speak to the club captain, we've already won a quadruple treble. So that's winning every trophy for four years in a row. What are you going to do now to change us and make us better? And that was like a challenge because everything you've done, whether it's Premier League, MLS, working with world-class players, you've got to start from scratch. You've got to build trust with the, the coaching staff and the players and the, the captain. But again, it was, we're not selling them. This is going to guarantee you to be injury-free or make you a better player. It was keeping it simple. It'll keep players on the pitch. The more players we've got on the pitch, the best players on the pitch, we can then win more games. Get back to the simple principle. So at Celtic, it was hugely challenging because players had won trophies. So the next thing was, obviously, the manager's remit was, we want to win trophies, but we want to do it in a certain style that's not been done before. So that was the big buy-in for the players. It was about the why, not necessarily about how we're going to do it. Because the thing was, is with these players, they were very independent. So some of the things that worked at Tottenham, delivering pre-act training sessions, individual sessions, post-training, you had to adapt. But I think being in the game for 20 years, working with elite players, you need to listen to the player and you need to be able to adapt. You still don't lose your principles, but again, we had to do d- different stuff. You know, So let's Celtic, whether it was nutrition, there's things that even I'd learned and developed. So a lot of the clubs that had worked at, you know, if players were having cakes pre-match and a match day minus one, it would have been wiped off the floor. Whereas at Celtic, the culture was, that was acceptable. It had been brought in many years before I'd came in. So again, it was something you're not going to remove, but can we make it better? Can we give them a better choice? But that was part of, we ask so much of the, the players, so that Darcy Norman goes on, but we're always asking, we're always asking, but let's give them something back. So that was something that, we kept them in place because it allowed them to give you something back to the players. They gave us everything. They play 60 games a season. They're training, they're travelling. So actually that happy medium and a little bit of balance for the player is something that's key. There's what's right and there's what's wrong, but knowing the difference between the two is crucial, especially at Celtic because it's Champions League. There's demands. There are different demands to the Premier League because obviously there's more competitive games in the Premier League to Scottish Premier League, so again, how you train is maybe going to be a bit different. But again, it's all about the people. How can you work with the people? How can you have that strong why? This is how we want to do it. But again, given the autonomy to players and staff to carry that out was, was one of the key things at Celtic, which was very different to my time in America, where we led through the front, demanded X, Y and Z in the training and the gym, whereas at Celtic, it was, it was a more evolution. But obviously, it was a different manager, different coaching staff and a different landscape, so you have to evolve and and adapt with it, like players and managers do. We've been looking recently at some of the content that's available on the community, and there's a a vast array of experienced practitioners that you can pull from and learn from on the community. 
including coaches like Ben Rosenblatt, Dylan Scott, Paddy Roche, Chris Neville, Amy O'Keefe, Jack Dowling, Des Ryan, and many, many more as well. A lot of these have been on the podcast before. So if you're not already a member of our online community, make sure you subscribe. Go to footballfitfed.com, click the community tab, sign yourself up there for a free 30-day trial. After your trial, you become a full paid member of the community. You'll get access to all the content that we've got coming over the next few months. And you'll also get invited into our members-only WhatsApp group as well. So go and check it out, footballfitfed.com. Click the community tab and sign yourself up there to a free trial. Here's part two of the podcast with Anton McElhoun. You mentioned there about different approaches to different clubs. What's your initial approach going into a new role? You said about speaking to the captain, but is that something that you do at every club? Like, what's your approach going into a new new role? I think when you go into each new role, is, is find out what are they, what, you know, what's the, the the manager's philosophy, the coaching staff, what are the players because the, the group of players at each club is very different. So in America, the players are very yes, no problems, we get it done. Whereas at Celtic, they were already winners. You're trying to do a different philosophy to what they're used to. They've still won trophies, but what you're trying to say is, is try to be modern, try to be progressive, try to do different stuff because you can win and win and win, but you then have to go with the time. So when you go into any club, you know, obviously you review what the style is, what the culture is, because at Celtic, it's a different culture to the English Premier League. The, the financials are very different as well. So guys that are on... 100,000 plus a week at Tottenham are very different to maybe guys that are on 20, 30k at Celtic at the top end. So you've got a different part and then even going down to League One or Championship in Scotland, you're having guys that are getting one grand a week. So it's very different and I think that money aspect does create a, a, a different beast. The ego of the players, the ego of the team, but it's all about the why. Why are we doing this? What's the main aim? Are we aligned? I think if I come in with a philosophy it's different to the coaches, different to the manager, different to the players. We're heading in the wrong direction. So we need to be aligned and we need to be adaptable on what we're trying to achieve, which is a winning team on the pitch that plays with flair, is an attacking, aggressive, high-pressing, possession-based team. That's what we want to do. But again, to do that, you need high-player availability and players that are extremely fit to play that game model. So that's what we're going. How that looks will be different at each club. But the philosophy and the why is always the same. No, that's great. You talked before in your career as well about this time in assistant manager roles and also head coach roles as well. So obviously your understanding and your qualifications in terms of the the technical and tactical side as well has to be right up there. Um, What would you say to coaches? Because you get a lot of coaches now coming from um, out of football coming into football to work have been in other sports, which we could argue is a good or a bad thing. But in terms of that knowledge, where do you think that their understanding and knowledge has to be on that side to develop a really high quality programme? I think it's, it's really interesting because every manager is going to have a different understanding of sports science coaching, as in, in that relationship. So, for example, going to the MLS, working with Brad Friedel, he'd been part of the, the culture at Tottenham for four years. So he understood what you can bring as a coach. You know, and, and it goes back to, if I go back 20 years ago, so there's a coach manager, Dutch name, Fop de Haan, and Fop de Haan worked for Herenveen, um, Holland national team under 21s, male and female, won the championships. And the, the, the sort of philosophy he had was football is conditioning, conditioning is football. So there was no start and stop on the journey. And that's something that I've held for 20 years so whether it's football training like that Bielsa Postino model, it's very uh, deliberate, whereas then you have coaches that are not as deliberate, that, that are a little bit more loose. So I think it's really important. So each club is very different. So working with Ange, he had an experience of, you know, he brought us into the club through, yes, you've been a coach, you've, you've worked in management, but the job that I am doing at Celtic is head of sports science. So my job was to deliver performance. But that was a, a plus point for him. Whereas when you're working with um, Brad, he uses as a coach, bringing in football and integrating the football parts to it. So it's, it's really difficult because each person is going to have a different experience to it. I think what it does is, is, a, is a football coach with a specialism in performance, it gives me a wider lens. 
So I feel as if so I can speak different languages. I can speak the language of the coaches, but I can speak the language of the, the, the sports science, the medical department or the analysis. It gives us a better integration, that bigger overall. I think that's one of the key things. You can go into a club and, and you can make quicker inroads with people because they've got a trust to what you've previously done. But when you go into a club, you still have to earn your credit and earn your stripes because what you've done at your previous club, club gets left at the door. You're starting from scratch. You've got to show your knowledge on the pitch, off the pitch, how you work, how you deliver stuff. So it does give you a, a hand and a help. But at the end of the day, when you go into each new club, you're starting from scratch. doesn't matter if I worked at Tottenham. doesn't matter if I worked at Celtic. What are you, The players want to know, what are you going to do for me? The manager's the same. How are we going to win games? And one of the key things, obviously, working under Ange was, it was a sort of a doctorate in leadership and football management. You know, how do we play? How do we want to do it? It was very different to how I've worked in the past, but we still get the end result. And it was the, the you know, the, the, the beliefs, the principles, how to manage people, how to manage players, the training programme was also different. But again, in the years in the, the, the locker, you can adapt more. If that was me as a young 27-year-old, I would have been lost and I would have been fighting with everybody. And, and I believe this, but the older you get and the more experienced you become, you can use different tools for your toolbox. So again, that's one of the key things. There's, there's no right and wrong. But when it comes to the coaching part, it, it, it just gives you an extra level of security and knowledge for the coach to trust that you do understand it, but you still need to earn the trust from the management and the coaching staff in the club. Can you give a little bit of insight on when you say it was different in terms of the approach they took and also what you would do if you'd have took your career earlier on in that role, what would your the sort of battles you'd have been fighting at that time? Yeah. So, so the, the the key thing was is is, is working under Mauricio and as many of the guys that I've worked with him. It was a very physical program. How we train, so pre-training, gym sessions for the group, post-training sessions after matches. It was very physical, whether that be gym-based, um, running, session-specific. It was very, very demanding. Under range, the, so for example, the you know Mauricio. They would be, the, the training week was different, so it was like a tactical periodization. You would work five days with Angie. It was work Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, off Thursday, Friday. So it was a, a traditional British. So again, the methods are very different. How do we get certain things? So for example, I'm a big believer in trying to minimise peak speed in a match day minus two. That's my belief. So working at Celtic was very tough because on a match day minus two, that's one of your bigger days. So how can we manage and evolve that? So, so from that point of view, very different training weeks. And is the, the style of football under Ange is high in energy, but the difference was he didn't like sessions that were 75 minutes or longer. So everything was 75 minutes or less. So rather than doing, you know, like murder ball, you know, like a Bielsa leads like six 10-minute games or, or so on, it would be two four-minute games of 11 v 11 at high intensity. So it was very different, the training loads, versus what you would be used to. So again, how can you improve that? How can we get more duration? How can we get more volume and intensity? They were some of the problems that you're facing because it was very different. The key thing is as well, in the last five years, I'd been working with a manager who had worked with us and you, you get that trust. When you're going into Celtic, it was different because you're, you're starting from fresh, new manager, never worked with you. The philosophies and the principles are the same, but how you get there is very different. So again, whether it was gym work, resistance training, Angie's a big advocate of no running. So like that, it was position specific. Whereas under Mauricio, there would be an element of running and an element of uh, position specific. So again, it was very different. How do you manage that? Whereas at the younger ages in my career, I was all in, this is how it should be done. You know, whether it would, you know, if I go back to my days at Tottenham, you know, we should be Olympic lifting in the academy. We should be working on X, Y and Z. And then you come different managers and coaches, no chance, you're not doing that. Right, how are we going to evolve it? You know, we still want to get them lifting. So dumbbells, eyes on air show. That was how we evolved. So at Celtic, we had to bring in new things, you know, pre-activation, hydration testing, you know, improve the nutrition. How can we improve the GPS? So, for example, we had one provider, then we changed to try and improve the detail that we were giving to the manager the detail on the football-specific session. So there's all these things that over the years you learn to evolve and adapt and how to manage and work with people. 
Whereas at the start of the, as a young practitioner, we're headstrong. This is what I believe. That's right. You get into arguments with the senior staff. And look, we've all been there. And, and, and it's one of the things I understand it as well, because being 43 now, I'm sort of, you know, the, the staff that I had at Celtic were in their 20s. So there's two, sometimes one, two generations of, of time difference. So I've got to evolve and learn what's the new common language, what's the new training methodologies. And that was a big task for me at Celtic to try and bridge the gap. Still keep the why and the philosophy, but the how was them. How did they guys work? I had to change and adapt. And that's something I think all practitioners, whether you're a 25-year-old, 35-year-old, you're all, you've always got to adapt and, and move with the times. Yeah, no, 100%. I think a lot will relate to that. Whether they're going through that transition now of um, trying to fight those battles or they're out the other side of it and, and trying to take that approach where they can adapt their approach, I think it's really important. I wanted to touch on as well, so your time um, in those positions as assistant and also as leading the team as well, what were some of the big lessons for you? Was there any reflections going into then the role at Celtic where you're head of sports science? where you've had that that lead role and then stepped into the head of sports science role? Yeah, I think that the key, you know, obviously as an assistant manager, one of the reasons for going down the, the football coach approach was working with Jesus Perez, who's Mauricio's assistant manager. Jesus came from a fitness background. He's a yeah. pro-licensed coach, but he was the performance manager from the coaching staff. And at the end of the day, we all as fitness practitioners want to get that control. We want them doing this. We want them doing that. The best way to get that control was working with the coaching staff. So that's why I went down that route of being involved in the coaching staff. So when you're an assistant manager, it was easy to plan training week. So what days are we training? How long are we training for? What's the intensity needed? So the fitness principles that you always work with, you just put into place. There was no argument. There was no deliberating. We've got to do this. So that was one of the easy things. And even as a manager, the same principle, what, what you probably think of is two different hats, but as, as a manager or an assistant manager, you still think of the football, but you think of fitness still is separate. And that's one of the difficult things because you can't do all the jobs. You can't be the fitness coach, you can't be the assistant, the analyst, but you're trying to do these things. So I think it was, it was difficult as an assistant manager, but when you're working with a smaller squad, smaller budgets, the principles were always there in training. So we always had uh, good injury rates at the clubs that we were at, whether it was Bradford, Morton, because the, the training had a, a principle, a periodisation. What we'd done pre-training, we, we, you know, we still kept all the, the, the principles that we need to as a sports scientist, but you could influence more. But the key thing is, is you're still working with people. So it doesn't matter if you're now in charge. So even as the manager for, I think it was three months, it was all about winning. The, the thing was, as, as, a, as a head coach, it was not getting beat. So, so I'll hold my hand up. My my thing was, look, I had no staff. My coaches were player coaches. The CEO had left the club. So there was lots of stuff with COVID and it was all about getting through it. How can you manage it with what you've got? We weren't at Celtic with coaching staff, kit men and physios. We had nothing. So it was all about surviving, getting through it, winning games, not getting beat. And I think probably not getting beat was the biggest mantra. But as a head coach, again, it was all about working with players. So we could change the training programme, we could do certain things, but you need players to get the buy-in. And the key thing working with somebody like Ange was, how do you inspire? How do you get the buy-in? Because you can't micromanage all the players, the coaching staff and everybody. It's all about how do you get them to do the job? So like that, somebody like Ange Postacoglu, it was about the why. We want to play, do something different. We get the players to create the environment with the, the, the players and the, the fans. Build something that's player-driven rather than coach, you know, you know whipping them into a, a, a condition. It was all about trying to lead them in a journey. And that's something that from, as an assistant manager to a manager, working at different levels is very different. So I, I think, yes, I've worked at an elite end, but when you drop down levels, you need to adapt and be positive, but you need to understand the mindset of where the players are coming from. They may not want to train five days a week. They might be happy training four days working for, you know, they don't do doubles, they don't want to improve. doesn't mean to say they're bad players. That's just the culture that they've been involved in. So that was probably the, the biggest challenges of what you want to get and what you, they need to get and bringing them together. But again, you've just got to be adaptable and flexible. But as a head coach, it was fun, super fun. It's like playing football manager. Yeah. Everybody <laughs> wants to do it. You know, as fitness coaches, you're sitting there. 
I think he needs to play there because his physical profile might suit there. You know, he's injured. You know, all the things came into play. I'm not going to lie. Obviously, I've got understanding technical tactical, but I would use the skills that I had as a as a practitioner in lead for over the years. That was the key thing: is do the things that you're good at. Don't try and be somebody that you're not. So I couldn't, as a coach, start to become this suit manager on the field. Doing I had to just be me and do the things I knew I could do well and rely upon people to to, to bring the wins and the, the the results in the training. That was the key thing. It's all about the, the people. You setting a vision of how we do it, where we want to go, and then managing them. And it's not been a dictator. So that was that was some of the key things. But that's took 20 years to sort of get to. Love it. I know you've mentioned a couple of times the different approaches that you've taken with different coaches for conditioning, football fitness, building football fitness, maintaining football fitness. How would you um, sort of summarise that now in terms of your approach going forward? There's certain things that I still believe in. So, you know, I'm from the Raymond Verheyen sort of model of football periodisation, tactical periodisation and all the different forms, you know, that I believe that when I started my career 20 years ago at Celtic, Kenny McMillan was the head of sports science, great guy, and it was that traditional British week. It, it, for me, it's it's not how I would want to work, but it doesn't mean to say that you're not going to win titles. That's where that... It, it's part of it, and it's part of your DNA and philosophy. So I still believe in football conditioning. You know, can we do everything with the ball? Can we be fit and robust? So we still... We'll need to be position specific in how we work, but you also still have to work as in just work. You need, you might need to run, you might need to go to the gym because top players, one of the things that I learned at Tottenham was top players can cheat. So if you're working with Luka Modric, Gareth Bale, you took the GPS or back then it was polar heart rate, they've not done the work, but they've done it because they're smart players, they're efficient. And if we are physically led at working down the wrong route, so it's got to be football based. The game leads us in everything we do. We are there to support, if we're sports science, we are there to support the, the process. How can we develop and improve them? So my philosophy has not changed. It's football specific. It's football first. We want to be the fittest that we can be, high energy, high intensity. We want to play a certain style and a brand of football. But it's all about the people that you have. And that adaptation, I think I was very impatient as a young coach and practitioner. You want it all happen now. So Tottenham, you know, a manager might get six months, so you need to hit the ground running. Whereas slow and steady process is important to build something long. So Mauricio done it, Ange's done it. But within that, you still need to show progress. So you still need to show that to the, the board, the, the management, the fans, that we're, we're on a journey, that things are improving. If, if you're saying you're doing it all, but you don't actually see it, you don't get the time. And that's one of the key things that you need to be you need to stay firm to your beliefs. And and like that, yes, I adapted at Celtic. You know, the physical was probably a little bit less to what we've done at New England and Tottenham, but we've got the same outcome. And that was one of the, the key things. It's all about the players and it's all about a match day. So you can train all week, but if you don't produce it in a match day, you're out of job. So the thing was at Celtic, the physical stats were outstanding. We, we played Champions League, we played our style. But the style was why we got the physical results because it was a non-stop. So Angie's principles were we never stop. So that meant from first minute to 110th minute, we're always attacking. And because you're always attacking, high speed running was through the roof. You know, that you were always in the counter press. That's why we got physically good. It wasn't because the programme that we put in place, the programme we put in place helped sustain that and helped give the players to the manager that then they were robust. They could play 60 plus games in a Champions League season and that helped them on the journey. So that's where it wasn't sometimes about the fancy stuff that we've done, but about that world-class basics of the things that are going to count in the long term. Love it. That was absolutely brilliant. What a great insight into some amazing um, teams, coaches, managers, and lessons from them as well. Um, and so that was absolutely brilliant. That's absolutely flown by. If anyone wants to reach out ask any questions, um, where would you direct them? Listen, I, this is the, the, the sad thing. I am a, a dinosaur as in social media. I am in LinkedIn, so Anton McElhone or Anthony McElhone. Um, I don't do a lot of social media, so I'm sort of hiding in the, the background, but email address, I, I'll give you that. It's anthonymcelhone at yahoo.co.uk. Again, easy. I'm a little bit old school, 
pick up the phone. I'll speak to anyone with regards how they can be helped, how they can progress. If there's anything I can share with them, as you can tell, I'm always happy to to give a hand. Amazing. Well, I really appreciate you coming on. Like I say, it's well overdue this episode, so I really appreciate you coming on to the podcast. Much appreciated, Ben. Thank you. Big thank you to Anton for coming on the podcast. Make sure you go and check him out over on LinkedIn. I think in terms of this one, there were some great takeaways from the managers, coaches and players that he's worked with. Obviously, there's there's some names that he mentioned in the podcast, but there's always big takeaways to take away from some of these people that are working in these positions, um, but also very different approaches as well. You know, there's not one, one way that um, suits everyone. Everyone works slightly different. And also, in terms of players' pathways are all slightly different as well. So taking that into account in your roles, he spoke about using the academy or academy roles to make mistakes, I think is, is really key. So if you're a young coach and you're not, you're not doing it at a first-team level where results are extremely important, you can do it at the academy level, you can try things, you find out a lot of lessons working with those squads. Being the best you can be, so literally stretching your standards, setting setting the bar high and that's for both yourself as a coach but also for your players as well and that ties in with some of the winning cultures that Anton spoke about as well it's not all about the facilities so you see a hell of a lot of really solid programs being run in facilities that could probably be better and that just shows the level of the coaches that are out there the adaptability of those coaches as well um, in those testing environments And then world-class basics, something that has been mentioned a few times on the podcast, but really thinking about that. How does that apply to your job? What are some of the basic things that need to be done on a day-to-day basis that you do really well? You do to that level of being world-class. So something for you to take away and think about. But as always, I really appreciate everyone listening. Please leave us a review if you've not done so already. And just finally, make sure to go and check out our sponsors, Magic Mind, our new sponsors, also Rezzle, um, Hytro, and The Good Prep as well. Go and give them all a follow on social, show them some love, because they make this podcast happen. Big thanks again for listening. I'll speak to you again next week in episode 276.